Welcome back everyone to R2Cast number 11. Um, we're filming this about two months ago, so if, if this isn't R2Cast number 11, uh, I'll probably have edited it out and I wrote, welcome back to R2Cast number 12. Uh, so uh, <laughs> don't don't worry if that's a problem there. Um, today we have an old, what is it you call someone when you go to uni with them at the same time? Someone that went to uni at the same time as me, a good pal of mine called Kirsty, if you want to say hello there, Kirsty. Hello. <clears throat> so... Uh, before we get into Kirsty's story today, uh, I'm going to, uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Um, you've probably been following these podcasts and you're thinking, right, it's, it's coming up to June time now, it must be shearing time, and uh, it certainly has been. So I, I got rid of about three kilos worth of hair last weekend, and um, I generally feel lighter. So uh, yeah, it is still Wallace Curry here. Uh, don't don't think I've been stolen and someone else has taken on the podcast, but um yeah, if you're listening, if it's your first time, uh, make sure to subscribe on YouTube, follow the Facebook and Instagram pages, uh, Rural to Kitchen for all three. If you're enjoying the podcast or you want to hear about sort of farmers' stories, um, people in farming, that sort of thing, look up the R2Cast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker. I don't know. There's like three more, but um, nobody watches them in them. So <laughs> uh, yeah, come along, get involved, and then... Um, Hopefully, more interesting folk like Kirsty on the podcast coming up. I would normally tell you, but um, I'm so organised and so far ahead, I don't know what's next. <laughs> uh, but yeah, enough from me. Um, oh, into Kirsty's story. Uh, what, what's your sort of story, Kirsty? Where, where are you from? Was was farming always your intentions? What's the sort of story there? Uh, so we <laughs> have a dairy farm at, just outside Lanark. Um, in primary school, I was like, "Yep, always going to be a farmer," uh, but. When I went to high school, I went to the Glasgow School of Sport. Um, so I actually went to play badminton for a few years and trained really hard and was competing every weekend. So farming kind of didn't really come into that. Um, and then fifth year exams came along and that was a fail. So we then thought, well, milking doesn't take a lot of <laughs> grades. Um, but my mum insisted that I went to uni and I got at least some form of education. Uh, so that's when I ended up at Ayr. I left after fifth year and went straight to, to Auchincrove or in the Ayr campus. And yep. um, the rest is kind of history. Did my four years, graduated and then went straight back to the farm. Good stuff, good stuff. So what, what made you uh, ditch sort of badminton uh, route? Um, well... It was it was a hard like it was hard you were training kind of three hours in the school hours and then you were training after school and every Sunday as well and then you were competing on Saturdays so it took up a lot of time it took up a lot of effort um, and like you Wallace I'm quite accident prone so injuries were quite um, common for me um, and you just, you get to a point where you think you know you need a job regardless like sport only takes you so far you need a job and you may as well get real get real and get a job younger so it's always nice to have a dig at my accident proneness but fine. <laughs> um, yeah no absolutely I think I think we all as kids are like oh what'll be this what'll be that um my yeah. uh, 20 stone figure took away from me being a winger in football but you know <laughs> these, these things all come across as well but, um so you said you went to here to study so you went to SRUC in here um, was it agriculture you studied or a related yeah. course? 
Yep. So because I had I had the minimum requirements to get in, I had to do every year and pass every year to get through. Um, so started with HNC and then went right up to do my BSc honours. So. Very good advert for SRUC there. You can jump in if you don't have everything at the start. Yeah. Um, and you can graduate with a 2-1 with two C fails in high school. <coughs> yes, you can graduate with a 2-1 if you're not me. <laughs> 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 um, so Christy was a great student. Uh, yes, yeah, so you studied agriculture with all sort of... Um, I say we've all done a degree, that's not true. When when we hear about folk doing honours degrees and whatnot, uh, obviously the, the big thing is there's a dissertation. Uh, yeah. it's, it's the worst thing ever. I honestly, personally, don't want to sound too sad here, but I absolutely love doing a dissertation because it's something... I love mine. Yeah, it's, I, know, I know you did, and I was sort of moving on to that. And, and it's... it's um, for, I know I've got a few students that listen to this and a few folk that want to want to study agriculture and, and the sort of the dissertation is always that big daunting thing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if my one tip would be when you're choosing it, choose something you're interested in and then you're really going to enjoy your fourth year. Yeah. Uh, so you've said you enjoyed it. Uh, what yep. was it you focused in on then, Um. <clears throat> so I did reducing methane by feeding grape mark to dairy cows. So dad and I went all the way down to England to get some grape mark. We bought some IVCs and got them delivered to the farm that does the wine. We went all the way down. We took two, two visits. We brought five tonne of grape mark back up the roads. And then because I was still at college and busy, Dad did all the feeding. There was a group that got two kilos, there was a group that got four kilos, and there was a group that got nothing, and they were all in different parts of the shed, which really pleased Dad. And then twice a week I went out and um, took their milk recording and basically put a laser pen up their nose for five minutes each. And then at the end of it, we collated all the data and we had a 23% reduction by feeding great work. Right, okay. Very interesting. And what exactly is that product? So the byproduct of wine production, the stalks, the skins, the pulp, everything that doesn't go into your glass of wine. So the, I don't want to be nasty here, but the boring <laughs> stuff that's not going into the good stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's good that, wasn't it? The byproducts of, you would never consider, I actually remember you told me this at uni, you were doing this, and I was like, what? <laughs> and that, that's the cool thing about dissertations, you can sort of make it, make it your own. Um, yeah. So you get a, a twenty three percent reduction. At what cost did that come at though? Was it was it something that farms could continue to do or? No, well maybe in like France, but I can't yeah. see it happening in the UK. I mean, wine production yeah. in the UK isn't exactly happening, <laughs> so I can't really see it becoming a commercial thing. Um, so one of the things that I did think about after college was to go on and do perhaps a master's. Um, or a PhD um, and I had thought you know the, the kind of research we looked into kind of focused on the oil that comes with these sorts of products um, and then I was actually watching a program on Countryfield that was talking about insect oil or like insect farming and oil is part of that and I thought maybe the oil and insects is similar to the or has the same effect as maybe the oil in the great mark so I was kind of going to maybe focus on doing that but um that opportunity just didn't ever happen yeah. so it's, yeah. it's not as if you're retired yet i'm sure the opportunity I know. <laughs> just um, <time. laughs> 
<laughs> always, always. Uh, so yeah, unless anyone out there is in Scotland wanting to start a vineyard and supply uh, <laughs> the beards with some some uh, byproduct from the grapes, then we probably won't go down that route anytime soon. But no. um, so you're at uni there. You've done done your four years. Uh, what what was sort of next? Oh, actually, wait, no, I forgot something. Um, when you were at uni, uh, you were involved in a dairy award. Is that right? Dairy award. Yeah. So my second yep. year, John Flanagan, a good man he is, put me up Pretty for good. an award. Um, so we had to do a gradient unit type idea, um, how how we would run a farm or how we would set up a farm. <coughs> Um, and this was put into final, and then there was six of us selected, um, and we did a presentation down at the big farming bit fancy bit in England. Uh, yes, the <laughs> Farmers Club. Yeah, that one. <laughs> um, so I was the only Scot that, that got through to the final that year. Um, so, yeah, that was a really good good opportunity. And so what what you you always say it was sort of like writing a graded unit and and how you would run that type of farm but what what did that offer did you once you went down there did you have to present that or how how did that work yeah so it was um a 15 minute presentation i think and then there was like a kind of panel type idea where we all sat and got asked questions um so it was quite full-on um and obviously it's quite intense. You've got lots of people from like Harper Adams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's, it's it's impressive, isn't it? And I think a few know of a few folk that uh, have been been through this or you see here when you mentioned it there that have went to these type of things. It's brilliant. It's done really well. Yeah. So, um, while while at uni, you you sort of pushed it, or you're involved in. Maybe you didn't push the campaign, but you're involved in a campaign uh, around dyslexia and agriculture. Yeah. So when I when I started college, I was normal um, and thought I, you know, I thought I was like a grade A student and then obviously exams come in and they were two C's and a fail and yeah. you think, right, there's something wrong, but, you know, it doesn't matter, you move on. Um, and then at college, another great lecturer we had, Gordon Soane, um, the first kind of few things that I handed in didn't quite make sense, weren't quite logical. And he thought he said at that time, I think you should go and get tested. So mum had been thinking for a while, yeah, that perhaps that's something that we should do. So I went ahead and I got tested and of course I was dyslexic. So I'd been through whole primary school, whole secondary school without a clue. And here was first year in college being told I was dyslexic. So they then were great. They put up so much support for me. I got extra time in exams I got somebody had to sit with me and write out all my answers and then I started working on techniques that I could do myself uh, so I started using colored pens to remember things because I like I can remember diagrams but not big scrolls of writing so I started it was all just working out ways that I could it would work for me um and yeah from there Jan Connell suggested the farm dyslexia campaign and we went to the first meeting of that and they asked if I would be the, the young ambassador. So um, the campaign's kind of kind of dwindled away in recent years, obviously with COVID and things, that's not helped anything. But um, yeah, we were I was going to primary schools and I was talking to 
people. I was doing presentations within Young Farmers. I, you know, throughout all my years in, in college and in Young Farmers, all these competitions that come up, you know, you've got to have support for people with dyslexia in order for these to be accessible for everybody. So that was always my kind of main drive and entering these things is setting up a good foundation for people with dyslexia throughout these sorts of ideas. Yeah. And what, what did the test involve originally? So interest. Um can't really remember. I think it well, you I think you did a spell and and right. then there was different coloured blocks and you had to make certain shapes and it was, it was <clears> still kind of can you write versus can you design? Yeah. Sort yeah. of idea. Yeah, good. And it's it's a, it's one of those sort of what's the word? Um like hidden, hidden issues uh, where it's, it's so easy for like you've went through you know all the way yeah. until you're like 18 and, and yeah. you might have you might have subconsciously been aware but not fully and uh, it's it's almost sort of marking you down as you go when when there's no reason for that to be the case um <clears throat> but yeah so if, if anyone's listening um uh, look is it called dyslexia and farming Kirsty, is that the farming and dyslexia farming with dyslexia yeah <laughs> Yeah, uh, if if you're you're in the industry and you know there's a lot of <clears throat> a lot of pretty intense technology and stuff in agriculture now and a lot of that's using databases and whatnot and that could just be confusing for you and you might not know why. Um, look the guys up and see see if maybe that's that's uh, part of the issue because it doesn't have to be a problem. So uh, yeah, I was quite I'm quite happy you came on so we could talk about that part in particular as well, Percy. Um, now. Now you've finished uni, you've won all your awards, uh, you've uh, been ambassador for everything and, and whatnot. Uh, what, what happened once once you finished fourth year, you graduated, um, you would have been, yeah, you had an actual graduation on like people yeah. these days, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, they're good days, they're good days. Uh, what, what came next for you? <clears throat> um, so I did kind of to and fro about masters or PhD um, and then started working started earning a monthly wage and was like you can put that in the back burner I want my money uh, so I just went straight into the farm and milking twice a day every day silage everything I yep. did my AI course through the college so I already had that um, so we were I was just helping on the farm and that, that was just helping, that wasn't employed on the farm, that was working elsewhere. Well, no, and, I was employed, as soon as I left, I was employed. Right. So as soon as I was graduated, I went straight into employment. Yeah, good, good. Um, when when I first got to know Kirsty, she, one of the two things she said was, it's Kirsty with an IE and I'm the best <laughs> silage, silage car. And I was like, okay, <laughs> confident. Um, so yeah, uh, you guys grow a lot of your own silage. Do you grow at all or are you uh, buying a nanny? <clears throat> no so we are a full grass based system we paddock graze the cows and the rest of the grass is for silage we take four cuts of silage a year and our silage has one agri scot twice and come runner up twice right so it's pretty what, good quality what, stuff we're working it. with <laughs> <laughs> um, so, could, could yeah, you tell no, Sorry, no, on you go, on you go. No, 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 it's, I was just going to say, it's quite a New Zealand-based system that we run. Uh, we try and aim to get a lot of grass growing. We try and grow the the 12 tonnes of dry matter a year. 
um, from the grazing and then obviously the four cuts as well. So we are pushing the system. <clears throat> so for viewers that are listening might not know what pasture or New Zealand based is, could you explain a bit more as to how that how that system runs? <clears throat> and so it kind of they predominantly it's the, the paddock grazing. Um, so we they get a set area that is measured um, out for one the number of cows and the amount of grass in that area, and then it's given it so that well to start with when we were milking, um, it was they got that bit in the morning and then they, and then they got the back of it at night, um, but now that we're doing robots, we're having to make sure that the paddocks are so that they come out at at set time so that there's a constant rotation and then they're encouraged to come through the robots as well. And why why would you choose to do that sort of paddock-based system over just putting cows in the field? <clears throat> um, the utilisation of grass is much better when they're intensively stocked um, and then they're, they're more intensively dunging in one area, so the organic matter, we're not having to use as much fertiliser in the long term because they're more intensively dunging on that area of grass. They're so much easier to gather in when they're in a wee block altogether than they are if they're across a whole field and they have four days of grass in front of them. It just, for milking, you could get cows in in 20 minutes, whereas if you're gathering them for a whole field, you would have to start like 40 minutes earlier. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and like it sounds as if it's quite, uh, you know, the dung is more intensive there. Um, yeah. So are your are your inputs from sort of off the farm a lot less than they would be if you were just uh, set stop? Probably not, because when you're set stocking, you probably don't fertilize as much as you yeah. would when they're paddock grazed, because you're you're not as urgently like. 21 days the cows are back in that paddock yeah. get it growing and um, so probably there's you know benefits and reductions in it as well yeah. but um it's just <laughs> just a better system for growing a lot of grass yeah and and you're saying 21 days there so that's three weeks it's not not a long period of time what sort of what sort of length of grass are you seeing there so we use a plate mirror to measure um, and the idea is that they go in at 3,000 kilograms of dry matter per hectare and they come out at 1,500. So it takes, on a good growing year, it should take the three weeks to, or 21 days to get from that back to that. It should have yeah. the time to recover to get back to that. Um, what was so it I heard uh, oh, a colleague, Gemma, said? Was it you put it in at the height of a beer can you put the cows in at the height of a beer can and you take them out at the like width of a beer can. Am I saying that the wrong way around? Like basically say this is a beer can, you put them in, yeah. oh, this is obviously taller, put them in that way when the grass is at that height and you take them out when it's at that height. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense, but I think you would take them out lower than that. Lower well, than that. we do. Right, right. yeah. We do. 1500 yeah. is like, like oh, tiny. Yeah. It's, it's really, really small actually to get it to measure the thirteen hundred, but Grass getting to raise it down to that is the challenge. Grand, cool, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> as far as grass is one thing that like uh, it's obviously so important to basically all of agriculture is the start of all sure. and uh, livestock farming. But 
I understand it to a point and to another point of like, <laughs> what does this mean? <laughs> How does this happen? Um, it's, just, it's the cheapest form of feeding. So if we yeah. can get as much out of it as possible, then we're not spending it on feeding. Yeah. And how much so how much uh, silage are you storing? How much are you producing? Do you so we idea? do 95 acres times four. 95 acres times four. So it's 380 acres. Give or take. Yeah. And we our <clears throat> measurement of that is when it bottoms out the plate meter, we go and cut. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's quite it's more kind of the six thousand you would graze at three thousand, we kind of cut it about six, six and a half. Right. Yeah, interesting stuff. You mentioned at one point there you said uh, when we were milking, but now we're using robots. Some people yeah. might be listening robots. What does that mean? So uh yeah. Obviously, all robots work. Could you could you tell tell listeners how how they work? Why you chose to get them as well? <clears throat> so, milking twice a day isn't all it's cut out to be. It's quite hard going. It's, uh, it's labour intensive when you're as accident prone as well as now. It hurts, <laughs> and it just got to the point where you know, being a female as well, looking to the future. Milking cows twice a day isn't always going to be practical. Um, so it was dad that suggested it a few years ago now. And we started going on the, when you could go on to farm tours and seeing systems. And we were quite well down going for one company. And then we decided that we would go for the, the full wood ones. So McCaskey supplied them. Um, and... They were about nine months to, from start of building until we started up on the 28th of January, 2020. So we have four robots in and they, we, they milk the 200 cows. We've managed to get the, the cow numbers up to 200 um, from 180 in the parlor to, to 200 on the robots. So they're, we, we use quite an unusual system. You know, usually people, um, when they put in robots, they keep them in the house all year round. They calve all year round. We don't do any of that. We have a very intensive calving block in October. Um, and we have an autumn block calving system. And then the cows go out to grass and they're at grass until they're dried off kind of August, September time. Um, so it's quite unusual. We kind of pushed the boat out. We were told it's not going to work you'll struggle, you'll have 200 cows in the shed, you won't have them eat grazing grass, you'll, and it just won't work. But last year was our first summer, obviously grazing, and then because we just started in January, they were quite well into their lactation when we started them up, so it didn't go like as smoothly. Um, but we did average the three milkings, which you would hope like robots are kind of set up to milk them three times a day instead of the, the twice that they, we were milking them in the parlour. Um, it just keeps the relief off the bag and it, it keeps them healthier. And um, so this year when we calved, we calved fully onto the robots this year and we, we kept them at 3.6, 3.7 milkings the whole winter. And then they went out to grass on the 31st of March and they've stayed at three milkings, 3.2 milkings. And they're averaging still to this day, when they peaked at 34 litres, when they usually peak at 30, they're still doing 32 litres at grass. Really? So you you mentioned there, um, 
it's better from a welfare perspective because there's sort of yeah. less pressure on the on the other there. Uh, is is it higher? You, you just said yields higher, but um, <laughs> yeah. that's not what I meant to ask. Uh, the yields are higher, but you've also got them uh, when they're outside. And you might have mentioned this earlier when we were talking about the paddock, but um, have they got constant access to the robot when they're at grass, or do you take them at the, the set times, or is it just they have access, sort of like a walk back area to? No, so we we open the shed up. They get no access to the, we have our cubicles in one area of the shed, our feed areas in one area of the shed. They have water troughs in the middle and the robots at the side. So in the summer, all they have access to is those water troughs and the robots. They don't get access to cubicles and they don't get any buffer feeding in the passage at all. So the doors are just open, the cows are out, they come and go as they please. Right. And it, is, it must take a bit of training to get them used to it. Yeah, so we, before we set the robot, before we started the robots, we did, we put them through as out of parlour feeders for a week. Okay. So we we're, the first, we did it on a Friday, and the first Friday we were still at 10 o'clock after finishing the milking at 6 o'clock, trying to get cows into robots to get fed. <laughs> And then the next night we were nine o'clock and then the night after that we were eight o'clock and then before like before we started the robots they were going in and we had like two cows to shove in once the milking had finished. Right. So they learned quite quickly but then obviously when we started them up they <laughs> the arm goes in and that's another panic and then you're connecting something that they've never had before and that's another panic and we, we milked half the cows in the parlour because we knew it was going to take so long to get through essentially 200 cows. We milked half of them in the parlour at four o'clock and then we started putting the other half through the robot at six o'clock and then we milked the lot we put in the parlour after that and then the ones we milked at six o'clock again. Sorry. So we kept them in two halves. <laughs> so by the time we got through all that, it was quite hard and then we did that again for the next day, but without the milking, they just went into the robot. And then after that, it was have fun, girls. So. I'm, uh, I'm glad that Zoom only uh, focuses on the person <laughs> speaking, because I'm sitting off camera here like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if uh, I'm very good at explaining it, but... Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty... Yeah, it makes sense. It's just... Um, it's actually a lot quicker than I thought it would have been to get them used to it. Uh, so they said when we were we had a few meetings and things and they said three days and you'll see a big difference in cows so it takes them like three days to go okay I know what I'm doing yeah three weeks they get even better and then three months they'll be fine so you get told there'll be three months of hell and then it'll all be okay but yeah. uh, we would say we had three we had two 12 lactation girls um so they're 14 years old try to teach an old cow new tricks is hard <laughs> so they were the longest to train on and yeah. now now they are like change the gate come on hurry up move yeah. it <laughs> like they are they're the first ones to get through the gate and to the, the fresh paddock of grass they've got to that stage why should they have to change now um <laughs> that's that's a that's a an awful amount of lactations that's good that's a lot higher than yeah you would normally uh, 
we we must average quite high because we do we've got at least 50 cows over seven lactations right well that's brilliant yeah good um We've, we've been speaking now uh, for, for quite a while about robots and, and the only thing you really mentioned is when the arm goes in. Uh, folk are probably listening, they might have heard about uh, milking robots and whatnot, but how? what's the full process? They've went in, yep. the gate's now shut behind them, how, how does it work? So <clears throat> a trough, the way the Maryland's work, a trough comes down, if it's going to milk them, the trough comes down and they get fed a set amount of feeding dependent on the time of year so we feed a bit more when they're in the house we try to get them in calf the milk yields at their peak and then when they go to grass we take all the cake off them when once they're pd'd in calf the cake comes off them and that's them and then until they get dried off and they get nothing so that comes down and gives them whatever cake we've set the computer to do and then at this point an arm has come in it's, it knows the computer, there's lots of cameras and sensors, know where the cow is. So it comes at a set point and then there's brushes come in and does three brushes up and down on each teat. And then it goes out and a laser puts the cluster on and it washes the brushes and then that's the cow milking. And then it takes each off as it detects that the milk flow is decreasing. It takes them off individually so that each quarter is milked separately as opposed to a machine that you would just take off once the first one's done. And then it teat sprays and kicks the cow out. It's, uh, it's, it's quite something when you see them work. Like I think yeah. if it was, was the, the, I almost said school trips, the college trips there <laughs> the first time you'd seen them? Or yeah, seen them yeah we hadn't seen any before. So yeah, the college trips that we, we went on, um, that was the kind of first time that I'd seen robots working, but we'd never been to anyone that had these robots. Yeah. It was Lely ones, so it was nice. Yeah. To see I think I've only seen Lely on farms. I've seen the ones you're talking about, like at shows and that, but the, yeah. the way it goes in and just the clusters know exactly yeah. what it says. Is, I would advise you to YouTube it. It's probably a good idea. <laughs> um, just we we set, set all them up, so we, we say, right, that's the teats there. Go for it. But you do that once and then that's it. It, it has a memory of where it found it the last 10 times and it builds up this log of I knew where that teat was and it, it depends on, so if it comes in, at, say it, it's a consistent milk and comes in every eight hours versus one that comes in at 10 hours, then 12 hours and then five hours, it'll depend where the bag is and how much milk is expecting and then what yield it's expecting and then it'll be adjust and be able to find it. I didn't know that they were sort of operator calibrated. So you have to see it for input into that computer or whatever at first where the teeth yep. oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. So there's about a, the, the there's a laser and you have to set the laser up and it will have lots of different squares and it'll say, right, where am I going? And you go, that's where it's sitting. Okay. And then that's it. That's it done. My addiction to battleships when I was younger would have a use. Um, <laughs> that's, that's quite cool. I generally didn't know that, uh, that the, the farmer operated that. That's, that's quite interesting. And the fact that it knows if they're coming in continuously, as you say, or not, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Very cool. There you are. Um, 
so we've, we've talked about the robots now, and I actually mentioned, I realised, didn't mention, uh, my brain mentioned to me, but I didn't say it out loud. I realised uh, we had not spoke at the parlour. So what, what type of parlour did you move from? Yeah, so we had a, a 15 aside swing over. Um, we used a Northern Dairy Equipment washer. So it brushed, similar to what the robot does, it has two brushes, so it brushes the teeth. Um, so they're clean, sterile, and then you put on the machine manually. We didn't have a fancy parlour, it didn't have ACR ropes, it had nothing, everything was manual, um, which actually we kind of liked because having seen that type of system working elsewhere, just didn't, I preferred the control of knowing that when I take the machine off, I know it's ready instead of the machine coming off and not, not seeing what happened, did it kick it off, something like that. So There's a lot, a lot more sort of acute husbandry involved in, in what you yeah. had. Yeah. Um, so what's a swing over parlour then, Kirsty? So instead of, like, so we can melt, there'll be 30 cows in the parlour at any one time and there'll be 15 machines. So you milk 15 of them and then you swing it over to the other side and you milk the other 15 that are down the other side while that lot's going out and there are a lot of 15 come in and continue over and over. Nice be schematic there. Nice Um. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned at one point, uh, we mentioned shows, and you said, uh, or, or I think you actually said, when we were able to go and farm tours. Uh, but yeah. obviously there's a big thing in the way of that these days, um, <laughs> the, the famous old C word. But uh, has, has COVID affected sort of your system or not really? It's actually, <laughs> it's been a godsend to us because it means that, well, we, we started on the 28th of January. We had two months of people allowed to come and help us and then the whole country shut down and it meant nobody could come and see us nobody could come and judge what we were doing nobody could come and see the mistakes nobody could come and point the finger it just let us focus on the system get it up and running we had a year where we had no stress of people coming and seeing it or anything and it meant that you know, there was no Highland show that distracted us and took us away and we all wanted to go because it was the first year we all could go and we just buckled in and focused on the system and, and got it working and, and now we're reaping the rewards of it because it's working so well, so. Yeah, yeah. good. Firstly, Bear's the only farmer to be happy to miss two Highlands. <laughs> um, the... <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy COVID. <laughs> Please don't say that. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Probably get demonetized even saying the word, but anyway, um, the the you had that sort of two months of of uh, intense guidance from from the. I take it that was from the company. Uh, yeah, so yeah. it's all just about you know the computer is set up a certain way, and it's all about what what do you want from it. So there was a lot that after a week I was like. I need to know this, I need, I need to know more, because I knew all that in the parlour, because you're doing it, it's data collecting twice a day, every day. And yeah. I'm obsessed with knowing everything about every cow. Obsessed mm -hmm. with that, that's like my my thing. Um, so not having that, or not having it in a way that I could understand, because it's worded differently, or actually means something different, was really upsetting me within the first week. Yeah. So we sat down and we got every list that I could ever want. And I've made more since, but 
it's just learning how the process works, what data you're getting and what that data means. So yeah, I'm happy that I've got it set up now that it's my system. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, there's there's only so many ways a company can set up their product for you. If, and if it's not going to work for how you work, then it's pointless. So it's yeah. probably quite good to have that year of, of just, just yourself working on it. We all make yeah. mistakes at the start, but when there's someone there like, watching it they, they probably yeah. get worse and it's probably not any use so um and is, we, is it just your no, sorry, you're unique in a sense that you know we don't have Holstein cows they're they're all crossbred back to New Zealand style Frisians that graze with Monty and every, every kind of breed you could want in there as well yeah. so um the girls aren't getting the yields that that the computer says is the baseline um so it was then kind of tweaking it to to suit our cows and a lot of other farms do it so that they have no interaction with like how much cake it's given and how much this and how much that whereas i set up manually so i do it completely manually Um, every time the cows get more liters out of them they get more cake and but that's all done manually because i don't want so like our max cow given 55 liters got nine and a half kilos because in other systems that could be like 14 15 kilos of cake and that we just don't want the cake bill to run away so no they're averaging eight kilos of cake and they're they're doing getting on for eight thousand liters and the cake bill is one thing, but also that's like a hundred and fifty percent of what it's getting. Like that's a lot, you know. When you're looking yeah. at sort of quality of nutrition, you'd think it's almost too much. Um, yeah. you, you mentioned there uh, about you're not getting the sort of required yields, but I take it because of that you're getting sort of better butter fat and protein contents. Is it? Yeah. So yeah. we run in a we're, we'll be getting our bonuses on our butter fat and protein. Um, we don't we don't go for the white water like we've got quite a high a good quality of milk that we're we're selling um, yeah. and now we're just we're focusing on how to fine tune it so that that predominantly is milk from forage but also is you know going upwards um, we used to average kind of seven thousand liters of cow ten years ago we're now getting towards eight thousand liters of cow just with breeding and you know, changing genetics, but then also the system has allowed us to focus it on a cow-to-cow basis. Yeah. And we're seeing huge benefits from that. Yeah. I just, I, I listen to myself sometimes and realise how bad I am at doing this. I go like, let's go robots and then talk to the barley. <laughs> um, but keep spoke on their toes. Uh, we, we we mentioned COVID there and you said, said it was a bit of a godsend. I take it, uh, given the, the nature of sort of milk contracts normally it hasn't affected any prices or has it affected that sort of thing no well apparently milk demand's going up so you know it seems to be a win-win for us yeah. um, we sell to first milk and they seem to be kind of one of the top end of the, the milk prices at the moment so yeah. i don't think many folk can complain no, I don't think anyone really in agriculture at the minute can. You know, it's it's, it's been yeah. Like you, you hate to sort of look at COVID and almost look as if you're what's the word profiteering from it or anything like that. But it, yeah. it has been good. You know, I think I think agriculture always leads in in the 
face of adversity, if you will, it's always sort of one that, that does well because you re- realise how much you need it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so looking, we've looked sort of at, at, at the business, at the changes you've made and, and whatnot. Um, focusing in on dairy, because uh, we've, we've talked about dairy in the podcast before, but we've not actually went into the sort of specifics of, of how does a sort of year on a dairy farm work? You see your, your autumn calf in there, but uh, how does how does the system move throughout the calendar year? Um, so going off of our system, one cow will calve in October. She'll have her calf, we'll take the calf and we'll weed it and it will get milk for two months and then it will be weaned off and it will be on a silage-based ration after that. And that cow will, for us, it will get its colostrum taken. We take it separately because the robot always adds a bit of water in to the milk so we take the colostrum separately so that we know it's really good quality then we put them onto robot we keep the milk for three days um, because there's always a bit of milk that is changeover from colostrum into human consumable milk um, so we keep it for three days and all that goes into calves and then they go into the tank and that's them to get them calving again on the 1st of October, we start AIing on the 23rd of December. So that's kind of more than, I think they say that you should start AIing at kind of 60 to 90 days, but we start kind of almost 100, if not over 100. Um, and then they have hopefully one service, get back and calve, we PD them. And then between that time, they'll go out to grass and then if they're PD positive and they're going to calve on the 1st of October, we dry them off at the start of August. They have two months where they enjoy life. They tidy up fields and, and then they come back into system three weeks before they get fed silage and a wee bit of dry cow concentrate just to get their rumen working for because once they calve, that's them back into a winter ration on our farm so we bring them in three weeks to transition them onto that ration because it takes room and bugs three weeks to transfer and then that's them set up for the next lactation and uh, when when Kirsty's saying dry there what that means is a cow's basically lactating 305 ish days of the 365 days of the year so that two months is when, when she's not lactating uh, you mentioned you hope they sort of they are successful in the first service. How? Yeah. What sort of percentages have you seen there? So the target is to get 60% from each service. So if you serve 100 cows, you would want 60% of them to hold. Um, so last year, because of when the robot started, we were five weeks into breeding. So that took a big hit because... We were focused on our things. There was stress with the change in systems. It just kind of took a hit. So our fertility took quite a hit for calving in November this year. Um, but this year we're sitting, I think, 64% conception rate for first service, held to first service. Yeah, so good. Meet we're the trying to push that kind of <laughs> as tight as we can. So well, I think we've kind of went around the houses of the uh, story of Christy. Um, what 
I don't know if you've watched the podcasts or if you've uh, read the people in farming interviews from back in the day, started in July when this goes out, almost be a year old of interviewing. I still thought journalists had an I in it instead of an A in the middle. Um, <laughs> the, we always finish it off with uh, two questions, one of which is where do you see yourself in why can't I get the word five? I can't get the word five. Where do you see yourself in five years? And uh, if you had any tips for someone coming into, well, feel free to focus on the dairy industry if you wish, but the agricultural industry as a whole, what, what would they be? Um, so where do I want to be in five years? Um, well, hopefully still on the farm. <laughs> um, hopefully that's still working well for us. And my kind of aim in the next hopefully five years is just to reduce our cost of production. We don't run at high cost of production, but you can always make improvements somewhere. Um, so hopefully get that down as tight as possible. Um, and for anybody coming in, I suppose being a girl, you've got to focus on them. So just don't let being a girl stop you from doing anything. And certainly don't use it as an excuse not to do anything. Um, a lot of people look at me and think you shouldn't be doing that or you're you're not never going to do what you should do and it's never stopped me. So mm. just you've just got to go for it and not to let anyone tell you that you can't. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, I can imagine you did that. <laughs> not let anyone tell you you can't. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> You tell me I can, I'm going to show you I can. <laughs> yeah, it's a good mentality to have. I mean, obviously, stopping at the point where you endanger yourself in <laughs> these side of things, but uh, no, yeah. it's a good tip that. Um, and and it's, it's, a, it's a worrying worrying premise that uh, uh, we've almost got to say, like, being a girl, just go for it. There shouldn't be any prejudice there. And, no. and unfortunately, there is. Um, so, yeah, good points, good points. Um, there was one question I meant to ask about four minutes into this podcast. <laughs> uh, just I forgot to say it. Um, is it just yourself and your family on the farm, or? Yeah, so it's just my mum and dad and me. We employ somebody to help us at calving because obviously that is intense. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it's just three of us. Good. Work well, mum and dad. Yeah, we don't follow it that much. Yeah, good, good. Well, um, I think we've covered everything. Well, I mean, I say that, I've forgotten the 40 things throughout it, but for the most part, I think we, we've covered everything that, that uh, I intended to cover. Is there anything else maybe we haven't talked about you'd be quite keen to talk about, or apart from the fact you're a celebrity on Fast TV, which you should all go check out? Um, Everyone I'll link, I'll, watch it. <laughs> exactly, I'll, actually, I'll, link that, I'll link that in the description. Um, It'll be a very old episode when this comes out, but uh, Kirsty yeah. is uh, very famous on the telly. Um, so I'll, I'll put that link in there if you want to go see. You you actually see some of, some of your cows there and you're on the farm as well. So Yeah, you get a good idea of how the robots work and and how they function and then our system and you get to see some very cheeky calves as well. I was enjoying that part. I thought it was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> the outtakes are even better. I want them to come out. Dad oh, really? got wiped out by a calf. <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant 
brilliant. Well, I um, I will be on to Faz to get the outtakes because I quite like to see them. Uh, yeah, so I'll put that in the description if you want to look out at that. Um, obviously, this is just sort of a, a Zoom call. It's just a chat. There's only so much control with that. Maybe one day uh, without COVID and if, if this pod- podcast gets to, to the stage, I can sort of be on farms and stuff and talking to folk, which would be really cool. Um, but if not, thank you very much for coming along, Kirsty. It was good to have you on. Thank you. Um, and if... Well, you don't really do you have like a social media I can plug or do you want for the any... farm yeah um, no but we are thinking that we should maybe go down that route of okay. you know showing the grazing robot, robotics yeah. system well watch this space again if, if uh, <laughs> in the next couple of months uh, they, they, they have a social media I'll, um, I'll link that in the description as well uh, so yeah thanks Kirsty and thank you to the viewers uh, for coming along Again, if you're if you're new here, uh, check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Facebook's the best place to go because that's where it all started. We had our first birthday yesterday. Oh no, we didn't because this is in June. We had our first birthday recently, so things are going quite well. Uh, and now my girlfriend's running Instagram, so things are good there as well. So they're the two places to check out what's happening and what we're doing and uh, what's coming up next sort of thing. So we'll see you on the other side. Thanks for listening.